Welcome to the Testimony Service Podcast, the podcast that will encourage you, increase your faith, and draw you closer to God. I'm your host, Martina. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So in an effort to help our listeners' faith increase, each episode will begin with the scripture. Today's scripture comes from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, Amplified. Then, with a deep longing, you will seek me and require me as a vital necessity, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And now, for episode 24, Slow Dance with Jesus. Hello, everybody. My name is Catherine Meyer. I am from South Africa, a small um, city called Port Elizabeth. I am a wife and a mother of five boys. I was thinking today, like I was sitting on the beach and I just asked God, what is his heart for me to share today? You know, And he said to me, I want my people to know that I'm good. I want them to know that I want to heal their soul wounds, you know, because a lot of us, you know, the Bible in Revelation 5.10, it says, you have chosen us to serve our God plus formed us into a kingdom of priests who reign on earth. They were talking about Jesus, the Lamb of God. And that word reign, I realized that, I wasn't doing that. I was I was saved, but I wasn't reigning because of my own soul wounding and my inability to see myself as worthy or chosen by God. So I knew I was saved, but I didn't know what it meant. So I grew up in quite an abusive background. My parents were unsaved and my dad had a bit of a drinking problem. And it was just a, a volatile house to grow up in and from a very young age, the enemy started speaking to me and I heard voices that says that um, you are just not good enough. Like there's no point for you to be here. Nobody loves you. Everybody wants you to die. I had like voices of like, commit suicide from a very, very young age. And it threw me into this downward spiral of just believing that I wasn't worthy, you know, and that I had no point. There didn't seem to be any reason for me to be on earth. So at the age of 14, I was raped. And I think that just really spiraled me out of control. You know, like, I guess there's two ways you go when something like that happens to you. You either hide from the world or you throw yourself into sexual immorality because there's, you know, like you're so lost and broken. And for me, I just threw myself into boys and drinking and smoking. And that really spiraled by the time I hit matric, I was already a full-blown alcoholic. And I, I can't tell you exactly what I guess was going on in my mind at that point. But what I do remember is I wanted to die. That was the overwhelming thing of my childhood is I want to die. I don't want to be anymore. I don't want to live through the things that was happening to me. I didn't want to hear these voices that was in my mind. And by the age of 19, I had my first boy, Bradley. And uh, that was very traumatic because my parents at this stage, they were saved already. They met Jesus when I was about 13. But at that point, it was really too late for me. I was extremely rebellious, you know. And so they were in this church and then I fell pregnant. So the shame and the guilt and the things that goes with having a baby out of wedlock when your parents is in a church, you know, I carried all that guilt and shame. But I was so determined to give this baby something that I never had. But 
you know, you've got these ideas when you are pregnant and you're like incubating this baby. And like, I stopped drinking, I stopped smoking, stayed at home. I was hiding away from the world because I was like, I want to give this baby what I never had. But by the time he got out and about six weeks into it, I had to start working. And I spent long hours away from him. And then when I would be with him, I would feel completely incapable of looking after him, you know, because I was like, I, like, I don't know everything about this baby. Like my mom knew because she was looking after him when I was working. And that just really spiraled me out of control. I was like, well, I can't even look after a baby. And these voices just became louder and louder. And I made the one bad decision after the next. And um, I got engaged to a man that was really really riddled with wounding you know and eventually I had to run away from him I went to London in 2004 and that's where I fell in love with Jesus <laughs> like actually I think I went to it was 2004 when I was forced to go to the church with a guy who said there's something very wrong with you you are coming with me tonight and I remember walking into that place and I was holding onto the seat and I was like, I don't know what I'm feeling and sensing in this place, but I've never felt it before. But it completely freaked me out, you know. Looking back now, I know it was peace, you know. It was just like peace and joy that was in the air, but it was so foreign to me that I was holding onto my seat and I was like, I am not engaging in this thing. I want to get out. But God is so faithful, you know. He met me right there in my rebellion, in my self-hatred, in my anxiety, in that chair. He met me. And uh, I fell in love with him deeply. At that stage, I was known, you know, for the main person of the party. I would always organize the drugs and the drinking and the, you know, like everybody just knew me as that one who would dance on the tables, you know, no inhibitions. I would just go for it. And I completely turned around at work. I changed the magazines to a Bible. I told them they're not allowed to come with their substance abuse into my office anymore because we were working in security, South Africans working security in London, you know. And um, yeah, people started seeing like something is very different with this girl and they didn't like it. So I lost all my friends and I continued to go to church for about six months. And the one night in worship, uh, Holy Spirit said to me, I've got an airplane ticket for you on the 18th of November. I need you to get on the plane and go home. It was already over my two-year period of being in London. So, uh, but I didn't want to go home. I didn't want to leave. What I knew then, I was also scared to go back to the life that I had before I went to London and going back to my boy. And even though I spoke to him all the time, he came to visit. You're living in a different world now. And those days, it wasn't all these fancy laptops and phones and stuff. I had to wait to get to a desktop computer. And I went on. And the only ticket for the rest of the year was that date. So I knew without a doubt. I mean, I, I, at that stage, I wasn't seasoned in hearing his voice. I didn't really know any of those things. I just knew, like, you're saved, you're going to church, you read your Bible, you pray. I didn't understand the supernatural world at all. But I knew. It was like I knew, like I knew how to get on that plane. And then when I came back, I guess I spiraled back into the old things. I, I, I had to waitress. I went back to studying I met up with the wrong people. I wasn't settled in a church. And I sort of just, that fire just like wasn't burning very hot. But like I said, I didn't know the supernatural, you know. So if you don't know his voice very well, it's easy for you to backslide really, you know. Um, and in that time of backsliding, so I was sort of, I was lukewarm. 
And that's one of the things that like the Holy Spirit has really been speaking to me lately is about lukewarm Christianity and powerless Christianity. And it's something I'm really passionate about right now. But at that stage, I was really lukewarm. And I met my husband. We fell in love. We um, got married. It was like 18 months married. And then we realized, oh my goodness, we came from two extremely different worlds and we clashed. We just could not find a happy medium of where we felt at ease with each other. And in this time, we were not trying to raise my boy, but in a place of just being dissatisfied and like our own soul wounding that we were like trying to cope with, you know. And then on top of that, we struggled with infertility severely. I had five big endometriosis ops. And after the fifth one, all the specialists told me that there's no way I would have another baby, that I need to give up on that dream. But I knew, like I knew, that the word said that you will be fruitful and multiply. And I was like, I can't give up on this because then how do I interpret what I believe God gave me. Now, I know there's a lot of people in the world who don't have children, and I don't always have an answer for that, but I knew, like, God made me a promise, and I needed to stand on the promise of the word, and I needed to decree that promise over my life. So I continued, and after my fifth operation, I was actually pregnant, and it's a 98% abortion rate for this kind of endometriosis op, and he survived. And I can tell you that this boy has got an incredible calling on his life, you know, but he's also riddled with dyslexia, ADHD, self-hatred issues, all these things that, you know, we hear that we get these things in the womb from generations past, but we don't really believe it until we start seeing the stuff that you walked in, that your parents walked in, that your children are now walking in and you realize like there's real consequences to our lifestyle and the choices that we make. Um, after we had Caden, we struggled to fall pregnant, but we had all our boys, which is now five of them, and they're all incredible human beings. But in the process of that, somewhere we got lost, you know, we really lost each other. We didn't know how to communicate. I was always busy with raising children or being pregnant, and my husband was busy building a company. And in the process, yeah, he got lost I got lost and he got involved with like emotional affairs with a woman and it's when that happened in my life where I went something is really wrong here God like something is wrong like I need to look at my own life I need to look at my old own soul wounding to see why would this happen because you know a lot of like women will go yeah but it's the man's fault but for me there's never just one person that's at fault when things go wrong. You need to look at your life and go, have I been the person that God has created me to be or am I completely riddled with, with soul wounding? And in my case, that was the thing. And I spiraled out of control till June 2016. I had a nervous breakdown and that was really a crisis stage for me in my life. I was driving with my kids in the car and my body just stopped working. The only thing I could do was pick up a phone and phone a friend. And she took my kids, then came back, took me to the doctor, and they wanted to put me in a mental institution. And I was like, no, I've got children to look after. And I don't feel like I'm crazy. I feel like I I know it, these mental stuff, but I felt like it's like a physical mental thing that I needed God to save me from. I needed to hear from him. 
And that's really where I started searching. And I was like, God, if you are real. In that time, a few months after that, our little boy, Jesse, burned severely with boiling water. And he landed up in ICU. And uh, they said to us that he will be severely scarred for the rest of his life. And we would possibly be in the hospital for three months. And at that stage, I met this girl that was crazy lovesick for Jesus. And she was a little intimidating because I didn't understand what she carried, you know. And I was like, this fire freaks me out because all I knew was like lukewarm Christianity. So she came for two hours. I watched her weep in the ICU and cry out for God to heal this boy. And when our plastic surgeon took off his bandages two days later, he said, this is not the same child. This is not. And I said, you know, I know you're a Christian. Do you believe in the miracle power of Jesus? And he said, yes. I said, well, this is the only explanation. I told him about what the friend did. And uh, that is really where this, this hunger for Jesus started in my heart. Where I was like, I want to know the resurrection Christ. I want to know him. I want to know the Holy Spirit. I want to understand what it means when God speaks to you, when you are led by him, when you are in step with him, you know. And I started searching for him. But in my search, I was troubled, man. It was like the enemy just went after me with everything of my past. The trauma, the pain, the dysfunction, the voices became louder. And in December 2016, I was standing on the sand dune and I said, that's it. Today, I'm going to commit suicide. I had it all planned out. I knew what I was doing, but I was standing on the sand dune and I just screamed at the top of my lungs. And I said, if you are real, I need you to show up because this is it for me. And he showed up. You know, when you cry out to God and you are desperate for him, he comes. He does not leave you in that place alone. He picked me out of that place. And for the next three years, I was what I call my wilderness season. We was completely taught by the Holy Spirit. He would lead me from thing to thing. He would say, I want you to go see this woman. And I would see this woman. And it was like trauma would leave as the Holy Spirit would step into that meeting that we had. And like I was led in understanding soul wounding and understanding his power to heal our brokenness, you know, and to step into these places. And for three years, I just spent time with him. I put everything on the back burner and I said, okay, God, it's you and me. I didn't do any of the normal things I used to do. I didn't see any of the people I used to see. I put it all away and I said, okay, Lord. And, you know, he just took me through a stage of teaching me about forgiveness and teaching me about getting healed, having your soul healed so that you can walk out of this place and then teaching me that I was created with a plan and a destiny and that he wanted to use my life and use my story. And, you know, he kept on saying Romans eight twenty eight. you know, God says all things for good for those who love him. He turns for good. So anything that the locust steals has to be given back to you. Like there is no such thing that it's lost time. I command the enemy to give me back everything that he's robbed me from and my children from, you know, and the Lord has been teaching and he's grown such a passion inside of my heart because I saw him face to face. He started taking me into visions and encounters and dreams and night visions and things that I thought, oh my word, I think I'm now on the crazy side. How do I explain any of these things to people? But I was transformed and the fruit that came from my life is what people were like, okay, there's something about this girl. And very clearly, Holy Spirit said to me, I want you to be taught by me, not by others. 
You are going to be taught by me. And he did that. He taught me everything that I knew up until now. And yes, we are in a church and we are in a community and there's great people around us. And, you know, but I focused on his voice all the time. And that's grown in my life where I listen and I follow what he says, you know. And in the season of learning, I would be driving in the car and he would say, I want you to turn around and go to the shop. And I would be like, I don't feel like it. I'm like on my way home. I want to get home. And he would say, I want you to go. And as I walk into that shop, there would be a woman that I know. And the fire would fall. And that woman would be set free from her own soul wounding and the trauma in her life, you know. And it happened over and over where I would go get coffee. And the next thing... (laughs) It's like revival just hit, like hits everywhere. And it's just incredible when you realize that you are loved and that you are created and shaped with a purpose and that the God who created heaven and earth wants you to reign with him, you know, and work with him. And my life has never been the same. I call my life a slow dance with Jesus because in my bedroom, I would just, dance with him as I feel him coming into my presence and he brought so much healing into my life as I just surrendered and yielded my life and said Lord I choose you I choose to be consecrated to you I choose to live this life and in this process of having my soul healed the Lord started teaching me that I was believing a lie my whole life I believed that I couldn't write I believed that I had no understanding of languages And to be honest, in the natural, I don't. I'm actually Afrikaans, you know, married into an English family and not very fluent in my language. But he said to me, I created you to write. I created you to be a prophetic writer and I want you to pick it up now and do it. So for years, as I was sitting within the wilderness, I would just type, I type, I type. I've got documents after documents of things that he taught me up until he said to me, okay, now I want you to start a WordPress and I want you to release the things that I've given you, you know. And from that, he's now got me on a project where I'm writing a book, which has been very challenging and I have to fight against what the enemy says all the time you know because I'm like God you have called me to do this and all this opposition I'm getting is because it's important for me to speak and yeah and in this time he also taught me about being an intercessor and it's something I absolutely love and it's something that can go on from five to eight hours you know we've got a group of intercessors that meet and Yeah, that is basically what God has done for me. He took this broken girl who had no understanding of who she was and I was completely tortured and he brought me to a place where I cried out to him. But in the crying out, I also took responsibility. It's easy to say I grew up in a bad house or a volatile home and all those are true, but we still have to take responsibility for the choices we made because of the things that happened to us. You know, we walk in rebellion because of things that happen and we can't take responsibility for what happened to us but we take responsibility for what we did because of it and I brought it to the Lord and I asked for forgiveness and he also taught me about not holding on to false responsibility things that's actually not mine to carry you know things that the enemy will say yeah but this happened and that and this and I had to go no 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 when God chose me and when I chose him there was forgiveness of all sin He washed me clean. I am white now. I am pure. I am righteous. I am holy. And I will forever walk that way and walk into it. And nobody is perfect, but we have to choose to go. God has done this for me. 
He died on the cross. He resurrected on the third day so that I can live in everything that he died for. You know, and I think most of us walk in almost nothing that he died for because of our level of soul wounding. But he's teaching me how to go like, this is who I was, but this is who I am now. And even in this process, he changed my name. When I was born, it was Karina Louise. And in the process, the Lord took me through Abraham and Sarah's story. And one night in worship, he said to me, you are no longer Karina. You are now Catherine. And I'm calling you a discerner. I'm calling you an intercessor. And I'm asking you to walk in what I've called you. And it was really hard because I think in all families, but especially Afrikaans families, it's not something you do. And it was really hard for me. But since I took that name and I said, okay, Lord, I will change my name. I will walk in what you are calling me. I have seen the Lord break into my life and through my life in ways that you can't deny him. You can't deny what he's done. You can't deny the word that he's spoken over my life. So I am very passionate for Jesus, as you can see. (laughs) I am so in love with him. And I am so grateful that he has done this for me. There is nothing Nothing like Jesus. And yeah, just for everybody who's listening, I want to say to you, the days of lukewarm Christianity is no longer okay. It's no longer okay to live like that. We need to be burning hot for Jesus. We need to know what he died for. We need to know that he resurrected. We need to know what his power looks like and we need to walk in it. He's given us a command. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. So if that is what he said, that is what we are supposed to be walking in, you know. And if we are not, we have to go, okay, Lord, show me what is stopping me from walking in the power that you died for, that you resurrected for, you know. So, yes, that is my story. Wow, Catherine, thank you so much for sharing that. I could definitely feel your passion. (laughs) Yeah, this is amazing. I love it. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. So uh, going back kind of to the beginning when you were, kind of dragged into church and um, you were feeling this feeling. You didn't know what it was, but you said it was the peace of God. So when you were like dealing with the peace of God being foreign to you, how did you, were you still going to church or did that kind of deter you or how were you able to push past? Like, I don't know what this is. This is a little bit scary. Were you able to keep persisting and pursuing God at that moment? Or what was that like? In the moment when I walked into the church, I was really overwhelmed by this feeling. So I sat back in this chair and I held onto the arms of this chair in the church. And I was like, I will not engage. But the Holy Spirit came right there to that chair and he engaged with me. And it was like everything that stopped me, because my parents started dragging me to church from the age of 13. So it was like a good few years of knowing about church. But at that moment, it was everything got lost. And it was all I could see was him. All I could see was him. All I could feel was this peace and joy. And I engaged. I engaged fully. Like I was like, I've never experienced this, but I want it. I want it now. Yeah, that's awesome. That's beautiful. Yeah. Okay, so you talk a lot about hearing the voice of God and like being seasoned to growing and being able to hear his voice. So like, how do you practically do that for someone who maybe hasn't heard before or maybe hears, you know, so sporadically? How do you cultivate that ability to hear God more consistently? Sure, that's a good question. Well, for me, I took away all the noise, you know, all the coffee dates, all the whatever it is that fills your life. 
I took it all away. And I didn't know much except like Sunday and Wednesday nights Christianity. So I took my Bible. I've got a chair in my room. I sat on my chair. I had a notepad with me and I just started reading the word. I started praying. I started worshiping. And then I would sit back. And that's one of the hardest things that God taught me is silence. Silence is the most intense thing for somebody who hears voices, the voices of the enemy. But the Lord said, I want you to sit in silence and listen. So I would, after worshiping for maybe half an hour to an hour and reading the word and really just seeking him, you know, crying out to him, I would just sit back in the chair and I would just like silence. Silence, silence and solitude. And I would just sit there until some thoughts popped into my mind. I wouldn't leave until I heard from him. And then I started writing down everything he said. Something made sense. Other things were like, I don't know what God is saying here. But I would write it down. And I practiced this for months and months and months. And then the Lord started teaching me how to interpret dreams and things. So a lot of the things he would say to me, I would then experience in dreams. And I started searching it out. I started going on Google and searching out what is the meaning of this word? Where is this in the Bible? And I would search him out. You know, the Lord says that we must search him out. We must search him out. He hides the information from us because he wants us to connect to his spirit, you know. So it was really a process of years of this three-year period where I searched him out and I would take everything he said to me and like even when I would be in the car, I would hear his voice and I would be like, was it him or wasn't it him? But I would write it down and then I would ask him, Lord, will you confirm this to me? And I would search out everything. And that is really how I cultivated hearing his voice. It's called time. It's time. Yeah, that's, you know? that's a great practical advice because I know a lot of times we'll approach meeting with God as like, okay, we'll worship for this amount of time, we'll read the Bible for this amount of time. And then, okay, I got to go. It's time for work or, oh, it's time for dinner. Or We never really sit at, well, I can speak for myself, yes. <laughs> never really sit in just the silence to wait, you know, yes. be determined. I'm not leaving until I hear something. So yeah. I, lo- I love that. That's great advice. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the reality of that is, you know, uh, a lot of people get taught about, they call it quiet time and it's come to really frustrate me. A quiet time frustrates me because you worship a bit and then you read and then you run off, you know, and I'm just going, that is not relationship. Relationship is a 24 hour engagement to the, the voice of the Lord, to his spirit, to like engaging. Where are you? What are you doing? Like I'm speaking to him. I speak to him all the time. And yes, my kids say sometimes you're crazy because I'm speaking out loud. But I've cultivated this relationship with him and I want to share with my father the things that happens. And through the process of that, I get to know his heart and I get to know his nature. So when I do hear a voice that is not his voice, it's easy for me to pick up and go, no, no, no. I'm not listening to this voice because this is not the voice of my father. So, yeah, just encourage people, you know, like it's engagement. It is this 24-hour engagement. Even at night, I wake up in the middle of the night where I I find my spirit worshiping and it makes me laugh because I'm like, how is that possible, you know? But I read this thing in the book of Chris Vallotton. He said that he went away with Bill Johnson and he went in the middle of the night to go have a wee And he walked past Bill Johnson's bed and Bill was worshiping in the spirit while he was sleeping. You know, he he checked and he was sleeping. 
And when I read that, I was like, is that even possible, God? Is it possible? But if it is, I want it. So, like, I want it. So I I started, before I go to bed, I worship, I talk to him. I'm engaging. And then I wake up in the middle of the night and my spirit is still engaged, you know. And I wake up in the morning morning and I'm engaged with him. And I think that it's just a level where God wants us now. That like we have stepped into a new era. We've stepped into a new way of being like in tandem with the Lord, you know, no more separated from him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you talk about lukewarm, powerless Christianity, which seems to be pretty popular. <laughs> I feel like I feel like a lot of us go through that phase before we really have, you know, whatever encounter that kind of catapults us further. But how do you or how do we combat that in our lives? Like from Staying at that point too long, I don't know. I don't know. I don't hear that much of people going from zero to here. It kind of seems like everyone passes through that phase. So for us, those of us listening who are in that phase, how do we combat that and be proactive in wanting more going further? Yeah, that's also a very good question. I think it's very similar to the answer before, you know, it is time. It is making a choice and saying, God, I'm going after your heart with everything I've got. I choose to be consecrated. I choose to live a life that is fully engaged with you. And I am going to go after you until I receive what, what I know you died for. Like, and I, I went after, you know, like the night hours, the early morning hours in the day, I would just go after his heart. And the more I engaged, the more he engaged with me and vision started opening for me. And then dreams, I started taking note of dreams because I didn't know much of dreams before, but he said to me, I want you to take note of what I say to you in the night hours. And I would make notes on my phone in the middle of the night because otherwise you're lying like half awake most of the night because you don't want to forget what you just said, you know? Yeah. So I would make notes and then in the morning I would go back to it and um, the Lord started speaking to me through these dreams. And that is where you, from lukewarm to on fire is a choice. Mm-hmm. It's a choice to go, I'm not going to be a Sunday and a Wednesday kind of Christian. I'm going to be fully engaged 24 hours, Lord, and I want you to show up. And he does show up. When you ask him for this, he shows up. You know, not everybody sees full-blown visions or not everybody is maybe gifted in interpretation of dreams, but everybody hears God. Everybody sees to a certain degree. Everybody dreams. God speaks to us in dreams. You know, he says in the last days, he will pour out his spirit and he talks about dreams. He talks about visions. So we can take it for ourselves. I stopped short because I was like, I'm not one of those big guys who sees these incredible visions. Then I realized after about two years of searching this out, I realized that I was being taken into encounters and visions. Like a thing would open, but I thought it would be like, I'm seeing you on the screen. Like everything would be like that real. But then I realized what I'm seeing in the spirit is a vision. And as I engaged with what I was seeing, he would then roll out the rest of the vision for me. So it's again, you have to engage and you're not going to have it if you don't engage. And most of us, because of our own wounding, we check out. So we'll read, we'll maybe worship, but we check out because that is just how we do life. I mean, you know, they talk about men and they're not nothing boxes. Well, I think a lot of women, we also live in our nothing boxes when we've had enough, you know, and Christians do that too. You know, we go into this nothing box because we don't know that God wants to engage with us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to encounter us. He wants to give us revelation and knowledge. 
Mini's world is full of that. Like, engage with me. I want to give you signs and wonders. I want to give you knowledge and understanding and wisdom. It's, and we are called to decree that stuff over our lives. Say, God, I want it. I want that, Lord. You know, and it's, in, yeah, I keep on just hearing this word, engage, engage, you know. And that is where you, you go from lukewarm to being on fire. I love that. <laughs> you have so much wisdom. I love it. Uh, <laughs> So uh, fast forward a little bit to you were talking about believing God for a baby and it was a high rate that the baby wouldn't, you know, survive, but you like kept having faith. So like, what's the line between having this unrelenting faith, but then coming to an understanding of this isn't God's will for me? Because it seems like we can push, push, push. Oh, I believe, I believe. But how do we know if it's like a door that God is saying, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is not for you? Mm, sure, that's a good question. I think what he's taught me in this one is what did he say? Not what do you want? Because we all have got wants and desires, but then we get disillusioned because God is not coming through for us. But the reality is that God say that to you. Is this a promise he made you? For me, I went back and I went like, God, what promises did you make me? And I I'm still to today. There's things that I'm holding on to because I'm saying that God, you said this to me. You made me this promise. And he gives me the faith for it, not just the faith. He keeps on confirming his word over and over. So if I want to give up, he sends a confirmation and I go, okay, Lord, I can't give up. It's not the right time yet, but you're still asking me to warfare for my promise. So even with things like babies, you know, our emotions get involved in it because we want babies, right? And when you when you struggle with infertility, it is a really hard thing to, like, why would that not be something for my life? But for me, I went, okay, God, you made me this promise. That is why I'm going to stand on it because it came from your word. It came from your mouth. It was something that you confirmed over and over and over. So it was undeniable. And only the things that's undeniable that has been confirmed is the ones I stand on. The other things I check, how does my desire line up with God's word? And then another thing I want to say, and I know this is a sensitive subject, but we need to look at our wounding in our souls. We need to look at that because a lot of our soul wounding causes our body to be sick and sickness causes us to, like fertility, not being able to be fertile. That's just one area, you know, or like I'm in a community with a guy who have got cancer and the Lord started teaching him about his soul wounding. And I mean, he's walking out his healing as we speak. And it's a miraculous story of a man being turned around, but he had to face what was inside his heart and the wounding that he had in his soul. And he had to walk a road with the Lord in forgiveness and being restored in that area. So it's like, we have to look at these things. We have to go, okay, Did God make me this promise? Okay, so if he made this promise, what is standing in the way of this promise? And then asking him to shed light on the wounding that is inside of us, you know? And I mean, that's a whole nother story by itself. But when we get this right, when we realize like every, our sin and traumas that happen to us cause such a wounding in our soul. And we realize that that it's got an effect on our bodies. We come to a place, we go, Lord, now holistically, I can sit before you and I can say, God, will you restore me? Will you show me these areas that are stopping? What is the blockages to the promise? Hmm. You talked about getting closer to God and how 
you were just searching for God, but the search was troubled. Your The voices kept getting louder in your head. And so it seems like, you know, the closer that we get to God, the more that the enemy tries to derail us. So like, how do we actually get through these moments when they come? Hmm. Sure. I think for me, it was, again, it was choice. I was like, I'm at this place where I'm so desperate and hungry for Jesus that I refuse the enemy to have any right anymore longer in my lives. You know, he can only attack us as much as what we allow him to. Mm -hmm. It's like we allow it. A lot of the reasons we allow it, but we allow it. And then it sort of overtakes our lives. And then we are numb and we are just left without any ability to do anything. But I had to come to a point where I was like, I know the voice of my father and I know the voice of the enemy and I refuse to listen. So I would just command him to leave. I would just say, Satan, you have got no right in my life anymore. I've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus and the resurrection power of Jesus. And you have got no right to speak to me. So I command you to leave right now. And then he would go. And when he doesn't, I would warfare until he goes, you know. But I had to engage. I had to engage and go, Holy Spirit, he's plaguing me with these things. I know it's not true, even with my book. I would sit and type and then these voices would come, you can't even speak properly. Like, who would ever listen to you? You've got no wisdom. You've got no understanding. And I would be like, huh? Okay, I know these voices. They are not from my father. My father will never speak to me like that. And then I would have to engage with that, break the power that it's got, and then refocus on the Holy Spirit and allow him to speak truth. And I mean, a lot of times, the closer you are to your destiny, the more the enemy comes after you. And in those moments, you have to decree the word of God. You have to take these scriptures God has given me that I personalize, you know, like, and I use it over my life all the time. And I decree it over my life. And I've got a book that I keep next to me when I'm writing. So and it's always open. So I will be typing and then I will decree a few because I also struggle with my ability to focus. Then I will decree some stuff over myself, some words, and then I will carry on typing, you know, and that is a great tool for somebody who struggles with the enemy attacking your mind is to decree the word of God because the power is in the word. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time. I guess mm -hmm. the only thing I'll say is, or ask you is if there's any final words that you want to leave with the audience on today. You've been awesome, but is there anything else? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I guess I want to say to you, even as we like just chatting now, I want to say, you know, Jesus is worth it. Intimacy with Holy Spirit is worth it. It is worth giving up the things that stand in our way to have relationship with him. It is worth engaging. It is worth spending the time to get to know him and to search out his word. And the deeper you get into it, the more it becomes second nature to you. The more it becomes like it's so part of you that you can't step away from it, you know. And I want to just leave you with that. It's so worth it to have intimacy with him. You get restored. You get renewed. You, you walk in your destiny. You are on fire. And nothing the enemy does is that big anymore. It's not such a big deal anymore because I'm like, you're powerless. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Testimony Service Podcast. We will be back next Wednesday. But in the meantime, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Testimony Service Pod. And as always, here is a sneak peek of next week's episode.
I said, I'm gonna create my own religion because I can't figure anything out. I had read motivational books. I was reading a little bit of Islam, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But I was still in this place where there was a tremendous void in my life. 